Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. We, as human beings, we like to feel seen, heard, and know that we matter. And a lot of times, the way that we get that feeling of, of feeling that we matter is by helping people. It's a good thing to help people, right? But not if you're being taken advantage of. And that's the key when you're dealing with narcissists. You're giving, 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 giving. You're not getting anything in return. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. All right, you're over there, you're going like, I don't know how to create boundaries. You want boundaries that are will actually work. I wanna help you make boundaries that'll actually work. I'm gonna give you five ways. So you're gonna wanna watch all the way till the end so you get all five. So number one is you gotta stop explaining yourself. Once you create those boundaries, you wanna try to tell them why you're creating boundaries. You wanna say to them, well, I needed to do this because, and you know, it's you're this and I that. And because that's when you leave yourself open, that's when they start to do that thing that they do, that Spengali thing that they do on you. And you can't go there with them. You can't leave yourself open. You can't listen to their crap because they know how to do that thing that they do with you. I'm sorry, but you know, they've been conditioning you from the beginning. They know how to read you. They know how to trigger you. They know how to get under your skin. The first thing you have to do is once you say these are the boundaries, you know, we're going to use one form of communication. That's it. You don't need to explain yourself or whatever your boundary is. You're going to pick the kids up at the curb or you're going to, you know, speak to me in a certain manner. Whatever it is that your boundary is, then you don't need to explain yourself. That's it. This is my new rule. I don't need to tell you why. That's the new thing. So stop explaining yourself. That's number one. Number two is stop making yourself look vulnerable. Don't make yourself look weak by putting yourself out there, by saying, sorry, I had to do this. By making yourself look vulnerable, then that gives them that opening. When you make yourself look vulnerable, it gives them that opportunity to come in and counts. So don't cry in front of them. Don't look weak in front of them. You can scream in front of your pillow, whatever it is, but don't lose control. Don't get emotional. Don't allow them to trigger you. Seriously, just don't. No emotion. Stick to the boundaries. You know, so those are items one and two. These are just things that you have to do 
in order for them to really start to respect you. And if you really want to know who a narcissist respects, I have a whole video on the only person that a narcissist respects. I would definitely check out that video if you really want to know who a narcissist respects. And the the next one is is to stop looking for what I call attunement or or getting the narcissist to like agree with you or you know to stop getting them to like see your side or getting the narcissist to see why you're doing what you're doing, acknowledge you and and say, don't you see why this is going to work for us? Don't you see why this is better? Don't you see that this is going to be better all around for everybody? This is going to be best for both of us. If you're trying to get them to see reason, you're not understanding that they just don't think the same way that reasonable people think. Their brains just don't operate the same way. And the faster that you can get yourself to understand that, the faster that you'll be able to heal, the faster that you'll be able to protect yourself, the faster that you'll be able to move on, the faster that you'll be able to get to be on the offensive. There's so many things that'll work better for you once you understand that. Just don't expect expect attunement. Don't expect them to agree with you. So stop looking for agreement and acknowledgement. If you want a boundary that's going to work, just stop looking for that because it's not going to happen. You're never going to get them to see your side because That's your cue to yourself to understand that you're going to stop explaining yourself. You're going to stop looking vulnerable. You're going to stop looking to get them to see your side, all of those things right now. The next thing is that you're going to stop expecting them to change because they're not. They're not going to suddenly get to be better people. They're not going to suddenly future fake you into, oh, I've changed. I'm better. It's going to be different now. It's not. You probably have heard it a million times. You know, they're not going to change. All right. So if you want to have a boundary that's going to work, understand that they can't come back and say, oh, let me cross the boundary because this time it's going to be different. It's not. And number five, Number five, if you want to set a boundary that's going to work, stop excusing them. Stop excusing them. Stop excusing them because they had a bad childhood. It's not that bad all the time. You know, these are what I call like red flags that you look past that you should like look for in yourself, you know, because you kind of defend them for them, then you make it easier for them in that sense, you know, so because you're excusing them. And so if you want to have boundaries that work, stop excusing them. So those are the five things that you can do. If you want to have boundaries that work, stop explaining yourself, stop making yourself look vulnerable and being emotional in front of them. 
Stop looking for attunement or agreement. Stop excusing them. Stop expecting them to change and stop excusing them. Okay, so I've seen narcissists actually be hurt. I know you don't think that they can actually be hurt, but they actually can. And I've seen it happen. And really, it comes down to this. They don't want to be exposed for one thing, but I'm going to boil it down to basically three things here for you. Okay. So the bottom line is they want to maintain control. They want to maintain control all the way till the end, and they'll do whatever they can to maintain control. And there's these various levels. And as you are sort of slipping out of their hands, they'll do whatever they can to maintain control. So here's what's going on here. You have been under their spell for a long period of time. And they started off with this love bombing, and then they went into devaluing, and then back to love bombing, devaluing, back to love bombing. And during that process, they were sort of grooming you, conditioning you. And they really thought that throughout that process that you would never really leave, even if they left you, that somehow you'd still sort of be under their control. And that's why even throughout the whole discard process, they're still trying to love bomb you in some way, the hoovering you and all that sort of thing. So when you first go no contact, that will hurt them. I mean, when you first start throwing up those boundaries, that will definitely hurt them. When they start to realize, whoa, maybe things are shifting. Maybe things are different than they used to be. That's definitely going to hurt them. And they may not let on right away. They may posture. They may start to act like, bring it on. They may act like they're not hurt. I mean, a lot of times they'll say, oh, you know, go ahead, try it. They may say, I don't really care. They may say, I saw what you filed or, and and that's just a bunch of crap or whatever it is that they're saying to you. It may seem like you're not getting to them. But I'm telling you, when you go no contact or you start throwing up those boundaries, it's definitely going to hurt. Whenever you're cutting off a supply source, it definitely hurts. And let me tell you something else. If you are providing some sort of grade A level supply source to them, meaning adulation, compliments, money, sex, you know, some sort of supply source to them that they really, really love. The reason why they won't let you go during the discard phase, whether it's a divorce situation or a business situation, whether you're walking away from them as a colleague, a business partner, whatever it is, they don't want to let you go because they're trading that grade A diamond level source of supply for that lower level supply source now. And so they're 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 gonna try to just manipulate you and make you squirm and make your life generally miserable because they get supply from that now too. So When you're taking away your supply, that going no contact and taking your attention away from them, it definitely does hurt them. So that's number one. And number two 
if you're walking away from them while they're still love bombing you, that really hurts them. So if they are in full on, I think I am really being charming and you're really not falling for it anymore, that will really hurt them. So if it's a love bomb move or a Hoover move, like they think that they are in that mode where you always fell for it before and you're really not falling for it this time, that will hurt them even more because that's their move. That's the one thing that you've always gone for. You've gone no contact, but now they're going back to the well of what worked before, or maybe it's a future fake. Maybe it's, come on, things are going to be better. You know, the past is the past. Look to the future. I promise everything will be different. I'll be the person that you always wanted. I'll do the therapy or whatever it is. You know, if it's business, I'll start doing all the things that they always knew that they were supposed to do. And I remember when I was in a business relationship with this other person who was a narcissist, all of a sudden this person started doing all of those things. And I remember just thinking it was actually insulting because I remember thinking, oh, so you knew you were supposed to be doing those things and now you're going to do them. No, uh, no, thank you. Now I just really want to be done with this. But anyway, walking away from them while they're in that love bomb phase or while they're in their charm phase is super hurtful for them. That will definitely hurt them. And if, by the way, if you want to know more about what love bombing is, you can definitely check out my video on what love bombing is. I have a like a narcissism 101 series of videos. There's a whole series that you can check out. But Narcissism 101, love bombing is one of those videos that you can check out. Let me just tell you, if they are doing that, just keep walking. Just keep walking. Last one. Last one is being the first to leave before they've lined up new supply because they they want to make sure that they've got new supply, better supply, something to, I'll show you that I've got better supply, new supply, something that kind of shows you that I want because they, they want to be able to have gotten something to fill that hole, fill that gap, which of course, it is that black hole that's never filled. But they, they want to be able to show you that they were able to do it, show you that they've got something better, show you that they've got something that will beat you down, you know, because they get supply from being competitive and devaluing you and all that sort of thing. So that will hurt them too. You know, you've moved on before they were able to do that, before you were able to secure that supply. Because they, did, they weren't able to control the situation. They weren't able to control the damage. They weren't able to make the decisions and you know, control their kingdom. And they feel entitled to be able to do that. So, so if you were able to move on before they were able to do that, then that will bother them too. You know, they're very, very insecure people. So they weren't able to 
get to it before you were. So those are the three things that I, I think hurt the narcissist the most, that, you know, or exposing them in some way because they feel exposed, exposing their diamond level supply, showing you know who they truly are, showing their true colors, exposing them to the world for who they truly are. That hurts the narcissist clearly the most of all things for sure. So let's talk about how to say no, just say no to that narcissist. Okay, so no is the single word that narcissists never want to hear. They want to believe that they have full power over you, full uh, Spengali magical abilities to get you to do whatever you want, they want you to do. You know, they want to, they play these Jedi mind tricks, but they're not Jedi. There's, they're, you know, more like Darth Vader uh, to try to make you think that you have to do whatever it is that they want you to do. So, The first way that you can start thinking about how to say no to that narcissist is by starting to understand what it is that stops you from wanting to say no to them. Is it that you're afraid? Is it that you're intimidated? Is it that you're thinking that there's going to be some sort of backlash? Is it that they are saying that they're going to expose you? Is it that they're saying that they're going to withhold affection from you, withhold sex? Is it that they're going to um, make you feel bad, that that they, they just have such a tantrum that you are going to have to deal with it? And so you, you just think to yourself, you know what? I don't want to have to deal with their tantrum or maybe, maybe you're afraid that there's going to be anger uh, or some kind of retribution. And and so what is it that stops you from being okay with just saying no to something you don't want to do for a narcissist? For some people, it really is just that you're an empath and you don't want to say no because you don't want them to feel bad, because you don't want them to think that you're not there for them. You know, it's nice to be needed. It's nice to feel wanted. Sometimes you don't say no because you think that they're finally going to appreciate you. They're going to see all of the things that you're doing for them. I know with a couple of covert narcissists that I had to deal with in my life, I found myself doing, doing, doing for them all the time because I thought I was being a kind person. I thought I was being a generous person. I thought that I was doing the right thing. So maybe that's part of the reason why you don't say no. I I mean, sometimes for me, what I found was I didn't want to rock the boat. I just felt like, you know what? It's just easier. I'll just, it's easier to do what I, I don't necessarily want to do or more than what I think that I should be doing than have to deal with whatever it is that I'm going to have to deal with on the other side with them. Um, and, and, you know, what happens is when you do that is that they expect more and more and more and more, and you never end up getting that validation that you think that you're going to get. And I've spoken to thousands of people all over the world. You know, you guys here, my community, this channel, I have viewers from literally every continent in almost every country in the entire world. And so I've spoken to enough of you to know that this is a universal thing. They often target empaths and 
you know, and, and, and empaths are people who feel very deeply for people, who have a lot of compassion, who have a lot of empathy for people. And um, they, they like empaths because they can get you to do things for them. They know that you're gonna have a hard time saying no. The other issue is that maybe you just want to be nice. I think that, that maybe this could be more of a, a, a female issue, I'm not really sure, but I know that a lot of men struggle too with being people pleasers. And you know, maybe you're just a people pleaser in general. You don't want people to not like you. You don't wanna be the one who's not you know, going along with things. Um, I, I heard Oprah speak one time and she was talking about how, um, you know, she was, a, she didn't say no to somebody that, with something that she didn't want to necessarily do because she didn't want people to think that she wasn't nice. And she relayed the conversation by saying that she had told her boyfriend Stedman about that. And Stedman said, are you nice? I don't think you're nice. He said, I think you are a kind person, a generous person, but you're not nice. What does nice even mean, right? So when you start to think about it in terms like that, you start to realize, well, maybe I don't necessarily want to be nice. You know, you can be kind, you can be generous, but on your own terms, right? So, um, you know, throw away this whole notion of you don't want to look like you're not a good person, you don't want to look like you're not kind, not generous, um, and, and, you know, we we, as human beings, we like to feel seen, heard, and know that we matter. And a lot of times, the way that we get that feeling of, of feeling that we matter is by helping people. It's a good thing to help people, right? But not if you're being taken advantage of. And that's the key when you're dealing with narcissists. You're giving, 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 giving. You're not getting anything in return. You're making deposits into this bank. You never can take the money back out. And, and so you end up feeling depleted. You end up feeling exhausted. And that's what they do. They are energy vampires. And if you want to know more about what an energy vampire is, definitely check out my video on energy vampires because that's what they do. They literally suck the life out of you until you feel like, your soul is gone, tired. They steal your soul. Uh, I know I've been there. I've had to deal with them myself. And I, I know exactly where you are and, and how it feels. And so how do you start getting your life back? How do you start getting to a place where you start to feel okay about saying no and you start to and, and just little bits of saying no will will start to help you so my recommendation to you to start feeling that power is saying no just to even little things you know like um empty the dishwasher no that was supposed to be your job you can empty the dishwasher i'm going to bed just little teeny things that will start to make you feel empowered and you'll start to get your confidence back and you'll start to feel like yourself again. Little baby steps, you know, the, the, the longest walk just starts with the first step, right? And that's what you're doing. So the first thing I want to say to you is just say no. So 
If you're listening to me, I want to see a just say no in the comments, because that tells me that that's what you're going to start to do. You're going to start to just say no. And then the second thing that you're going to do once you've started to say no, is you're going to stick to your boundaries. You're going to stick to your gut you're going to stay, you know, stay the course. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes you will stumble. Sometimes you will go back on your word and you'll go ahead and give in. Don't beat yourself up over it. It, Every day is a new day. Every moment is a new moment. Just, you know, the what if game, the, the regret game, the I shouldn't have, woulda, coulda, shoulda, forget it, skip that. Just go, okay, in this moment, I'm going to stick to my guns. In this moment, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look forward. I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to say no to this particular thing. I'm going to create these boundaries. And once I create these boundaries, those boundaries are going to be steel. I'm not holding them back. I'm not pulling them back a little bit. I'm not making them flexible in any way. I'm going to just keep on going with them. And once you start those little milestones of saying no and and creating boundaries, then you'll start to realize that the narcissist is not as powerful as you think that he or she is. That narcissist is actually the most scared little person on the planet. That's the not so secret secret. So, so, um, what is the best advice that you would give to someone who is dealing with a narcissist who is, you know, in a situation where they're just like thinking, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this thing. What would you say to them? Um, my piece has a, has a high price tag. And um, if I got to let go of some money to get some peace, I will do that. I will not let people walk over me, but I will not let that actual, you know, the vase or whatever, you know, the idea that I need to beat him or her, uh, I need to beat the day and and I beat the day if I find some peace in it. And that, you know, they're, make them ancillary. It's hard to do, but your life is about your day. He is, he or she is just a part of your day and make them ancillary. It is a job. It is hard, but it is doable. Mm, I like that. And, and what about boundaries? I just had that thought, like, I teach people to like create boundaries, Um, you know, emotionally, physically, whatever boundary type they need to create. What would you say to that? Oh, I think it's absolutely necessary during this lockdown. I have uh, I have boundaries. I'm not allowed to read emails after a certain time because it's it, 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 it's not a good time today. I'm only allowed to consume a certain amount of news. I'm you know I insert limits and boundaries on what I do so I can I can um, I can be in charge of all of the incoming information because between Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You get a lot of emotional incoming from all over and people are emoting and they're emoting to the world. And if you're consuming all of that, you're consuming other people's raw emotions and you don't need to do. So you should limit yourself with respect to the exposure that you have to incoming uh, agitation and irritation. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, and, you know, I also teach people like, you know, as far as like boundaries, sort of like tactical responses, such as if they get a long email that says, you know, you're a deadbeat, you suck in every way, whatever. Uh, but there's like one piece in there that says, what time do you want to pick up Johnny on Wednesday? 
You could just like write back and say, I'm in receipt of your email. I disagree with your allegations. And you can pick up Johnny at three o'clock on Wednesday. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's a very, very good idea because if you don't buy into they did, they sent it for a reason. They didn't send it to con- convince you of that. They sent it to upset you. So if they wrote a 20 minute email, took 20 minutes to write a damning email, and then you come back with, yeah, you can pick them up at nine. <laughs> That's a, that's, that's a victory. You need to put that in the win column. That is a victory. It is so true. I love that you put it like that. So you know by now that you're dealing with a narcissist. You're in this relationship with a narcissist, and you're thinking, how the heck do I get out of this relationship? How do I end it? How do I move forward? I I hear from people all day long, thousands of you from all over the world who have asked me, how do I get out of these relationships? What do I do next? I'm scared. You know, this person has set up this this situation where they're in control and they they have you feeling and believing and 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 in a situation where you think if I ever try to leave this person it's going to be pure hell. Let me tell you it is. I can't sugarcoat that and if I sat here and told you it's not going to be hell to get out of it, then I would be lying to you. And that's not what I do here. So, but what I can tell you is that I've helped many, many people get through this and get to the other side and it is better and you can move on and it is a better life on the other side, despite what they may say. They may even say to you, you know, you'll be nothing without them. That's not true. So that's what I'm doing here on this channel and, and with the work that I do. And I promise you it will get better on the other side of this crazy thing. So when you're dealing with a narcissist, remember that you're dealing with a personality type that has no inner sense of value. They have to derive all of their value from the external in the form of what we call narcissistic supply. And if you want to know more about narcissistic supply, check out my Narcissism 101 video called Narcissistic Supply so that you can understand more of what it is. But basically, it's anything that feeds a narcissist's ego. And if they see that supply source walking out the door, then they're going to go crazy. It's sort of like a two-year-old who's having a tantrum. If the two-year-old uh, you know, wants to get something from the parents, they may fall to the floor, they may cry, they may scream, they may rage, they may throw things, they may do all these things. And what the um, two-year-old is doing is basically testing the parents and conditioning them to see, you know, if I scream and if I do these things, are you going to give me what I want? And if the parents give in to that child, then they know for next time, All I have to do is scream louder, scream longer, scream harder, throw things, completely embarrass them, make their lives miserable, and they'll just give in. So that's what you're going to start seeing with this narcissist. You're going to see where you actually trigger that narcissistic rage is going to come out and, um, 
and, and things will probably get worse before they get better. But narcissists are always the worst right before they're ready to give up. So never forget that. Okay. So when you go to end this relationship, you have to be extremely careful, extremely purposeful and deliberate and have a plan of action when you go to end the relationship that will actually make sure that you do the things that you need to do to to get where you need to go. Number one, don't give them one more chance, not verbally, not internally. They've had their chance. You've given them the options over and over and over again on how to correct their behavior. They can't, they won't, and don't, don't, don't give them one more chance. Just decide and move on. Number two, when you decide to leave them, don't tell them, don't share it with them, just move on. Um, you're going to create their, your, your plan for getting out and you're not going to share any of it with them. Don't say, I'm leaving you, I'm getting ready to leave you, nothing like that. Just create the plan and then execute on it. They will do everything they can to make this a living hell for you, and they may even try to thwart your efforts to leave. So they may try to foil your plans. They may try to love bomb you, guilt you, play the victim, all of these different things. And and if it's already been a hard decision for you to come to, then you could get sucked back into that. So don't tell them about your plan. The other thing that they might try to do is intimidate you, devalue you, cause fear inside of you. If you leave, this is what's going to happen. Or they may just decide that they're going to discard you first, beat you to it, make it worse for you, something like that. So do not tell them that you are leaving. Number three is make a copy of all of the important documents that you're going to need, financial or otherwise. It's really important if you if you can to make a copy or take a picture of these documents because if you take the documents and they find out that you took them, then that'll be something that they can use against you. Oh, she took everything out of the home and they'll, they'll turn it into something much bigger and much worse. They stole money, blah, blah, blah. You know, so just um, make sure that you have copies or take pictures of the documents that you're going to need, financials such as um, tax returns and uh, bank statements, credit card statements, uh, deeds, uh, any prenuptial agreements, things of that nature. Number four, I talk about this in my other videos, you know, before you leave a narcissist, watch this is one of them. But one of the things you're going to want to do is have a stash of cash. You're going to want to have at least three months worth so that your lawyer will have an opportunity to set a hearing and um, get you temporary support if you are the non-moneyed spouse. And you're also going to want to have enough to hire a lawyer. Number four is if you are in an abusive situation, report what has happened to you. Report it to your therapist, report it to your clergyman, report it to the police, whoever you need to, especially if it's been physical abuse or sexual abuse or anything like that. You can always go to a domestic violence shelter as well, but don't be silent about it. There are resources resources out there for you. And we will actually drop a link and a, and the phone number to the domestic violence hotline, the national domestic violence hotline, so that you can call that if you feel that your life is in danger. Number 
Five is change your passwords and log out of all of your devices before you leave anywhere. And make sure that you've logged out of all of the clouds as well. I've had clients who've had that situation where they didn't realize that the iPad that was left at home was connected to the cloud and now the spouse was reading all of their emails and seeing all of their text messages and things like that. So change your passwords on all of your devices and including passwords to social media accounts and things like that. And also, you know, block them, get them off of your social media and their flying monkeys as well. Think about their minions as well. So, um, making sure that you also have a secure email. That is how you and your attorney are going to be communicating with each other. So you need to have a secure email to be able to do that. Number seven is check your devices for trackers or, or your vehicles for trackers. Make sure that nothing has been put onto your car, especially if you're dealing with a malignant narcissist. If you want to know more about malignant narcissists, they are the most dangerous form of narcissist. Check out my video on a malignant narcissist. But they do have a tendency to track uh, the people that they're dealing with. They stalk them. They have a proclivity for stalking. So make sure to check your vehicle for any tracking devices. Number eight is don't give in to their flattery or their love bombing. They may start to do the things that they did to get you into their web of control in the first place, like love bombing you. And if you want to know more about love bombing, check out my video on love bombing, but they may start doing that. Don't listen to it. Close your ears. It's a trick. It's a way to kind of suck you back in. Sometimes it's called hoovering and it's really just a manipulation method to get you back into their web of control. Number nine is reconnect with family and friends. You are going to need a support system as you go through this. So reconnect with the people that mean the most to you, who love you, who will believe you, who will support you. And also, you know, seek out therapists, seek out somebody that you can talk to about this, who's a neutral third party, maybe even the a, a, a clergy men or somebody at your church or synagogue or something like that so that you will have a support system in place as you go through this. Number 10, similarly, the opposite side of this is disconnect from anybody who's toxic, anybody who's not going to be helpful, anybody who's not going to be on your side, who's going to judge you or make you feel worse or make you feel like a failure. You don't need that in your life. Number 11 is stay away upon leaving. Once you have left, stay away. Don't fall prey to going back or, or, you know, even just to have a conversation or anything like that. Just, you know, stay firm in your decision and stay strong in your decision once you've made that decision. Next is learn about narcissism. Use the resources that are out there, including this channel, including the other channels that are out there on YouTube, which have amazing resources. Dr. Romani has great resources and she's a psychologist. There are several others out there like her, Melanie Tanya Evans, uh, Tracy Malone, who of narcissist abuse support. There are lots of us out there that are providing resources around narcissism. Kim Saeed is another one. And I've actually 
partnered with all of these people in various times, and we've done videos together. And the reason why we do these videos together is because we each bring different perspective, more information. And at this time, you really want to learn about what it is that you need to do. Here on my channel, I teach you about narcissists because it's really important for you to understand the the pathology of narcissism and the psychology of narcissism just enough to know what you need to do to negotiate with them and get out of this relationship with them in a way that leaves you as unscathed as possible and helps you come to a fair resolution. The next thing that you can do is go easy on yourself. Go slowly. Forgive yourself. It, it, you did what you did and you made the decisions that you made in the moment. And remember that these people are master manipulators. They've been manipulating their whole entire lives. Don't beat yourself up over the fact that you were in that relationship. It happened. You learned from it. You're moving on now. And that's the most important thing. So forgive yourself. I also do have a video on self-care to cope with a narcissist. And you might want to check that one out as well. But the most important thing is that take care of yourself. Go easy on yourself. Go slowly. It's okay. It's And, 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 and don't even beat yourself up over if you end up doing some of these things I'm saying not to do. If you end up talking to the person, if you end up, it's okay. Just forgive yourself. Understand that you're going to be going through the stages of grief. This is the end of a relationship. This is the end of a dream. It's the end of what you thought was happening. It's the end of what you thought your future was going to be. So you will be going through those five stages of grief and you will eventually heal. It, you will eventually get to the other side and it will be better. Uh, what's your opinion for best defense? Well, you've heard the, first of all, let me just tell you, I'm so sorry of what you're going through. It sounds like you're dealing with a malignant narcissist. Malignant narcissists tend to be the ones who are, um, you know, they don't even care. They have no conscience whatsoever. They'll just go after you and they'll say whatever they need to say. So what I'm going to say to you, Al, is your best defense is a good offense. Uh, for those of you who follow me regularly, you know that I often say that the best football teams, if they have a great defense, then they have nobody scoring any points. So you need to start going on the offensive. This is a person who has gotten you under siege. And that's what narcissists do. Like right out of the gate, they want to take that first swing. They want to make sure that you feel disempowered, that you feel like you can't ever get past all of this. I have had clients who have had criminal charges against them, who haven't seen their children for years. All of this bad stuff has happened to them. And then they come to my office and we get it all turned around. And the reason why I can get it turned around is because I, I, I help them create a strategy which will box them in. Remember when you're talking about a narcissist, the most important thing to them is narcissistic supply. But when you're dealing with a narcissist and you're dealing with that narcissistic supply, remember that the supply that means the most to them is how they look, what people think of them. They want the rest of the world to think that they're wonderful that or that they're the victim and that you're the bad one and they want to get that preemptive strike going in there. So they put you on the defensive right away. So 
what you need to do is create a strategy that's going to threaten a source of supply that means more to your spouse to keep than the supply that she's getting from making you miserable. And she's getting lots and lots of supply by watching you squirm, by watching you know her be on top or, or him or whoever it is that's um, on the other side. And so that's what's really going on. And nar- the, the beautiful thing about narcissists is that they are so simple to understand. They only want one thing, and that's that supply. But they go after it in many different ways. But they're actually very, very predictable. They're very predictable in how they will act in, in any kind of a discard phase, but especially when they're dealing with it, somebody in divorce or end of a business partnership or anything like that. They fight dirty. That's what they do. They don't have ethics. They, they just, it, you know, it's the equivalent of the kick in the groin, the pulling of the hair, the biting of the ear, whatever they have to do so that they can come on top. But you can develop a strategy which will allow you to uh, box them in and, and narcissists eventually do self-destruct. If you give them enough rope, they eventually get to a point where they start making mistakes, where they start coming unglued. Um, they'll, they'll act like they're moving forward and they're really good at this magical thinking and moving forward and not seeing their path of destruction behind them. But they will eventually self-destruct if you surround them and put them in a place where they have no choice but to resolve matters with you. And, and that's what I teach in the Slate program. That's what I teach on these videos. That's what I teach in everything that I do because I figured it out. I figured out how to negotiate with them in a way that helps you see movement and get where you want to go. So let's talk about whether or not you should use the word narcissist in court. The short answer is probably not. There could be times that you could use the word narcissist in court, but for the most part, what you want to do is use the information that you have to prove that the person is not necessarily a good person. And here's why. When you're dealing with judges, you are dealing with a judge who probably has hundreds of cases on their docket, literally hundreds. I know in most counties and most jurisdictions, there are hundreds of cases of divorce cases, new cases filed a day, every single day. And just think about how many family law judges are on the bench in your particular jurisdiction. It might be one, it might be 20, but even if it's you know, 30, and and there are hundreds or thousands of cases filed a day, those cases are being assigned to those judges on a daily basis. And so those judges are having to deal with thousands of people getting a divorce, thousands. And those cases don't even count the cases where people come back to enforce issues where there might have been a problem before. Somebody's not paying something they're supposed to pay. Somebody's not uh, uh, obeying the, the terms of the agreement or, or, or going along with the terms of the agreement. Or, it, and it doesn't also include any of those um, 
uh, modification actions. So people who are going back to try to change the parenting plan or try to change the child support or try to change the amount of alimony or anything like that. So enforcement and modifications are not even included in that number that I'm telling you of hundreds or thousands of new divorce cases. So the judges literally are overwhelmed, backed up. They have way too much on their plate, way too many docket, uh, cases on their docket. And judges, by the way, are... Um, evaluated. They're evaluated by the judicial system and they're also evaluated by the voters who voted them in if if they were voted in in the first place and not appointed by a, uh, a governor or something like that. But they're still going to be evaluated. They're going to be evaluated on how quickly they get um, cases off of their docket and also how many times they are appealed. So just I give you all of that background because I want you to understand that for those of you who have children, you understand that when your kids, if you have more than one kid and they're fighting with each other and they come at you and they go, he did it, this, he did this to me, she did that to me, she started it, he started it. What's your first reaction going to be? Your first reaction is going to be, both of you just stop it. Both of you just get along, just get along. And so most judges, they just don't want to have to deal with it. They hear finger pointing, they see finger pointing, they hear complaints about spouses on a daily basis all the time, and they're like over it. They just want the case off their docket. And remember, when you do get to go to court, you're going to have a very short window of time to present your case, to look like the, the good one, to be the one that the judge potentially likes better. Remember, judges do apply the law, but they are human beings underneath those black robes. They have biases. They decide they like someone. They decide they believe someone, whatever it is. You get a very short window of time to present your case. And a lot of times people will say to me, I have 50 witnesses that'll show that this person is a bad person. Okay, well, but when you think about that in terms of a realistic presentation to the court, you have to remember that in order to present a witness to the court, you have to have time on that judge's docket. And hours and hours and hours of time on the judge's docket translate to, translates to hours and hours and hours of money and fees that you're spending for your attorney. And if you put 50 witnesses on your witness list, then the other side is going to want to depose every single one of those witnesses. So when it comes to, you know, going in front of a judge and saying, that person's a narcissist, the better way to do it, the judge is just going to go, okay, they're all narcissists. Everybody's a narcissist. That's basically what they're going to think. So what you need to do is put it in light of something that the judge is actually going to care about, such as custody. If you know the judge has the um, uh, obligation to come up with what's in the best interest of the children, what's going to be the best parenting plan, what's going to be the best custody arrangement, who should have decision-making authority about the children's issues or something like that. And so when they're looking at those things, they're going to go, 
Okay, um, you know, has this person put the children's needs before their own? Has the person encouraged a relationship between the children and the other parent? Has this person been respectful to the other parent? I'm sure in wherever you live, wherever you are in the world, there is some law around how the judge is going to figure out what's going to be best for the children. So it's gonna be better for you to take a look at those laws, whatever they are, and present evidence in light of those laws that shows that this person is not necessarily a good parent. And you can do that without just saying that person's a narcissist. Now, if you wanna say that person's a narcissist and you, you really want that word to be presented to the judge, then it's going to be better served to do it in the context of either a psychological evaluation or a custody evaluation that's done by a psychological professional or mental health professional who then says, I did psychological testing on these parents and here are the results that I found. And it's going to be in the context of a full-on report that's probably going to be 30 or 40 pages and it's going to have tons and tons of information and supporting documentation as to how that mental health professional came up with that diagnosis of that person. But even so, remember that narcissism is not illegal and it is not grounds for taking children away from parents. I mean, I know it feels like it should because they're heinous beasts, but the better way for you to attack using the word narcissist or showing narcissistic traits in court is showing why the judge should care about this person's bad traits. So whether it's in the context of you know property division or maybe it's in the context of showing that they're they have you know bad moral character or because they lie all the time, you know lying is always going to be something that's relevant. Or, or something within the context of the custody case, that's where you're going to want to use that information that you have about how that person is a narcissist. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bestlife to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify 
com slash best life. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. For one thing is that they want to trigger you constantly. They love to see you squirm, so they get supply from it. And you really don't want to give them narcissistic supply, obviously, because that's no fun. I mean, they just get the satisfaction of seeing you go crazy, right? I mean, why do you want to do that? Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life, whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets, and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. In the beginning, when they're first starting to want to gain control over you, they want to come on super strong. So they just are very, very charismatic and they just flood you all the time. So you're you're going to get these text messages that'll be like, you're beautiful, you're gorgeous, you're amazing, you're so smart. And now we return to today's show. So a lot of people are concerned that the narcissist is going to lie to the judge over and over again. And I've seen them lie. Um, And I've seen them get away with their lies. Um, And, you know, there have been times when I've seen them say one thing and, and then 20 minutes later on the stand say something different. 
And yet the judge ruled for that. I mean, as a lawyer, it can be very frustrating myself as well. You know, and I think, did you not just notice the inconsistency over there? Like, what's going on? But a lot of people are concerned. And so I would love for you to weigh in on what advice you would give to people who are going, I feel like I can never win because they're just going to lie. Um. Hopefully, most judges will catch you know because you, if especially if you lie early and we catch you, uh huh. We we don't you know it, it, it diminishes the trust we have in you altogether once we caught in a lie. So the calm and continued uh, exposition of what is going on by the attorney and sometimes it it you got to remember it took you a minute to figure out that he was he or she was a narcissist to begin with. And it's going to take the judge a minute as well. Oh, that's so true. That's a really you good see what point. I'm saying? You, when you met, you met him and married him. That's so true. What a really good point. That is such a good point. Um, you know, and what I tell people to do is, you know, create summaries of their lies and inconsistent statements. You know, like have a text message that says this on one day and another thing that says this. And it makes it easy for the judge to go, oh, okay, I can see the story here. Right. You know, so would you agree with that? That's helpful. Oh, absolutely. Consistent papering of, of what is occurring and to put it in because you 20 minutes on my docket today. So if you put it in, if it's just all over the place, I can't get there with you. But if it's concrete for me, I can get there. Yeah, that's perfect. I love that. And so, okay, so here's another question that I get a lot. Um, people think the judge, they've been in front of the judge a couple of times. Maybe it's been on a discovery motion or maybe it's been on a motion to compel or a motion to enforce an order or something like that. And the judge has ruled against them. So now they think that the judge is favoring the narcissist, that they're, they're biased, they, they want to get rid of the judge or whatever. What, what would you say to that? Always talk to your attorney first because there's a lot of reasons you can lose a motion and not necessarily be a function of a factual determination made uh, in favor of the narcissist and against you. There could be legal reasons why it is. And so really talk to your attorney and talk to your attorney with the uh, with the understanding that you're trying to determine what it was that made the motion unsuccessful on your part, because you'll go first to the thing that bothers you the most, which is their narcissism, narcissism. But you have to be able to really understand. Sometimes you lose emotion because of the legal uh, particulars of it. And sometimes it's because of the lie the narcissist told. But in order not to get consumed by that, you have to really listen to your attorney and come to their attorney with a clear head about, I'm going to accept what she or he or she is telling me about the reasons that our motions were denied or uh, granted. And it's not always the end of the story either. Nope. I mean, because, you know, as, as you go in front of the judge more and more, oftentimes it gets turned around. Oftentimes mm-hmm. the judge- Patterns emerge. <laughs> Say it again. Patterns emerge. Exactly, exactly. And the judge starts to see, but it's it's really hard. And, and I want you to speak to this as well, which is, you know, if, if somebody just comes in and says that person is a narcissist, what would you say to that? I, you know, I need evidence. I don't need conclusions. And I think that 
some people do come up with that person's a narcissist and they may maybe they could be a jerk or a fool you know they're like they're they're different levels of jerkdom and just, you know you not necessarily uh diagnosable just because you're some level of a jerk so don't come in screaming the 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 concern of the day i'm not the con- narcissism isn't the concern of the day but it's it's the new uh, it's the word du jour. Yeah, it, it, it really is saying it. And so, and, and what I tell people is that, you know, it's, it's almost like two kids fighting, you know, like if you're a parent and both kids come in, she started it. No, she started it. No, she's the jerk. No, he's the jerk. But the judge is just like, oh, both of you stop it. <laughs> I, yeah. So don't come in here saying, making diagnoses because, you know, don't come in crazy, come in calm with me. If you come in all wild and out with all of the extremities, you know, you have to, you got to come in cool because I will listen longer and harder. And, and if if you're normally a rational and calm person and there's some exaltation later on, I will, I will see it more as a circumstance that is, that arose as a function of events as opposed to, as opposed to tag you with hysterical, crazy dude or chick. Now, if you're getting ready to go to court with the narcissist, whether it's divorce court or otherwise, you're going to want to be fully prepared and you're definitely not going to want to walk in without having the best possible strategies and tactics at your fingertips, because this is going to be no cakewalk. The narcissist is going to make it as difficult for you as possible. So stay tuned and listen to the end so that you can get all the tips and you'll be all ready to go. All right. Number one, number one is have everything that's possible to be in writing, be in writing because narcissists by their nature are pathological liars. So they are going to lie about things that you said, you didn't say, conversations that took place or didn't take place, what they said or didn't say, Whatever it is, it's going to be twisted. It's going to be be manipulated. So you want to make sure that you can keep everything in writing to the extent that that's possible. So, and and ideally it would be like in an email or something like that, where you actually have um, the timestamp on it. You have the date stamp on it. You have the email, who it came from, the email address of who it came from, who it went to, that sort of thing. Text messages are admissible in court nowadays, but it's just a little bit more difficult to authenticate them when it comes to evidence in court. So it is better if you can do it via email if possible. The other problem with text messages is that they tend to go away after a certain period of time. Um, And especially if you don't save them, it's really difficult to go back and find them. The the phone companies don't even really keep them either. So you're definitely going to want to make sure that you use email if possible. If you're co-parenting, having a co-parenting app such as Talking Parents or FAIR or uh, Our Family Wizard, something like that is always a good idea too. I mean, the bottom line is that they're going to try to get you away from this writing. They don't want to be in writing because they know that it will box them in and narcissists don't want to be boxed in. So they're going to do whatever they can to get you to meet with them, to um, to go against what you said before, things like that. They're, they're just, oh, let's just meet. We don't need the writing. We don't need... Um, 
all these other people around us, you know, let's just uh, meet at Starbucks or whatever. And, and the reason why they're doing that is to get you into a place where they can manipulate you again. So by keeping everything in writing as much as possible, um, you can minimize that problem. Now, what the flip side of this, by the way, is for you to remember that every single writing is a potential trial exhibit. So if you don't want to see it again, then don't put it in writing. The way I just say it to people is, you know, just imagine the judges is leaning over your shoulder and watching you write that text or that email. And before you hit send, say, you know, judge, your honor, is this something that you would want to see? And if it's not, then you don't want to send it. Okay, the second thing that you're going to want to do is use video for depositions. And the reason why you're going to want to do this, and yes, it's a little bit more expensive. You have to pay for the court reporter. Now you have to pay for the videographer. But it goes back again to boxing that narcissist in. If you box them in enough, then they will act like the spoiled temper tantrum child and their true colors will show up and you'll be able to use that against them down the road. So, but, you know, just trying to control their behavior using video will definitely help because if you don't use video, what they tend to do is do things that don't show up on the record, meaning the court reporter will take down everything that's actually said in the deposition. When you look at the deposition transcript, it'll, it'll just say question, blah, 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 answer, blah, blah, blah. There's nothing around it. There's no description given around it. So if that narcissist is giving you dirty looks, making faces, all the things that they do, and they do, then um, it, nothing is taken down. Now, for me as a lawyer, there have been many times where I've had to say, let the record reflect that so-and-so is making faces at so-and-so. But you know, how many times can the lawyer do that over and over again? without just constantly interrupting the deposition. So by videoing it, you actually see what, um, how they're responding and how they're acting. Plus it makes them behave a little bit better because they're a little less likely to be a complete jackass if there's a video shining in their face. Okay, number three is focus on your own case. So this is one of the biggest mistakes that I see lawyers make. I see lots and lots of people make because it's just natural to want to focus on what's the other side doing and, and all of their flaws and all of their mistakes and how is he or she getting away with this and look at how badly they're behaving and isn't the judge going to see that? And, and the answer is maybe and probably and yeah, you will want to bring out all of the other bad behavior of the other side. But, you know, just like in football, if you, all you have is a good defense and you have no offense whatsoever, then you never score any points, right? So you want to make sure that your case is as strong as possible. Focus on your case. Make, the, make sure that the facts and the supporting documentation and everything is done to create your case and make sure it's super strong. And then for the other side, you create that leverage to help motivate them into wanting to come to the table to potentially have a settlement conversation with you. Or, you know, you have all the points that make them look bad. Yes, you know, anything that shoots their credibility, 
you know, it, it, when people say, oh, how are they getting away with this? They're lying all the time. Why, how are they getting away with this? So the thing I want you to remember, here's a good reality check for you. And that is who would stop them from getting away with something? The only person who has any power over another human being in the court system is the judge, not the lawyers, not you, not family members. No one has the power to order someone to do anything other than the judge. And how do you get in front of the judge? Through motions, through hearings, through trials, things like that. Things have to be filed in the court system. And then you have to have a hearing, bring it to the judge's attention. And only at that point can you potentially rein in their behavior. But while you're waiting for that time to get in front of the judge, you're just documenting, you're keeping track, keeping track, keeping track. So that's how you're building your case. If you're dealing with a child custody uh, situation, for example, and the person just never shows up to, to get the kids or they show up late or they constantly change the time, you just document it, document it, document it. And then when it comes time to present that to the court, you have a nice log of exactly what happened and when, what time did they show up, what time did, did they leave, you know, all of that. So eventually it will work in your favor. But just remember that you want to keep track of your own case and, and make sure that that is bolstered as much as possible and then highlight the weaknesses of the other person as well. Okay, number four is what I started to allude to in number three, which is document, document, document. And I cannot stress this enough. Keep really careful notes. Have an app open on your phone. Have um, a journal, a log, whatever you need to do so that wherever you are, real time, you can be logging what's happening. And I have won entire cases on these types of logs. Let me tell you, they do work. It is critically important. So make sure that you're documenting because... What you're doing is you're slowly closing in on your narcissist from every angle. It's, it's you know, it, it, this is war. This is the art of war. And so you're, you're building these tactics and, and you're closing in on them from various different angles. And it doesn't look like you're doing much until you've got them fully surrounded. And that's when you realize, hey, I, I have them. And only then is when they're going to want to start to have a conversation with you about potentially settling the case um, and not having to go to court because you you know that the main thing about a narcissist is that they don't want to look back. I have a lot more on this in my videos on how to negotiate with a narcissist and how to negotiate with a narcissist ex. And I will drop links below to those videos. You'll definitely want to check those out. Okay, number five. Definitely do very thorough research. Have everything ready to go. Do you need appraisals? Do you need valuations? Do you need a forensic accountant? Do we need to figure out what the person's true income is by looking at their bank, bank records? Do we need to figure out a lifestyle analysis by looking at credit card statements and bank statements and things like that? Everything needs to be ready to go, all I's dotted, all T's crossed, 
Don't leave any stone unturned. Don't leave anything to winging it because whatever your weaknesses are, wherever there's that weakness in your case, that's where they're going to find you. And that's where they're going to jam their foot in and open that door and make it into a big, huge thing. So also in being prepared, you're going to want to make sure that you do all the research for the other side. What are they going to argue? What points do they have against me? What leverage do they have against me? And then be ready to answer that. I anticipated this argument and here's my response. Because if you're only prepared for your side, then you are only half ready to go. So make sure that you are ready for both sides as if you're preparing for both sides. And one word about leverage, by the way, is make sure that once you've got that leverage, you use it at the most opportune time. Do not give it away too early. Do not show it to them before you get to court because you want to use it when you need it. All right. So the last one, number six, is to keep your emotions in check. And this is going to be one of the hardest things to do because narcissists know how to push your buttons and they know how to manipulate you. So they're going to make faces. They're going to make little snarky comments. They're going to say things under their breath. And, um, you know, so I would totally avoid making eye contact with them in the courtroom. It's not going to serve you. Just look at the judge. When you're, when you're testifying, just look at the judge. Make sure that you've practiced your testimony. I, as an attorney, go over my direct testimony with my clients. If your attorney doesn't do that as a matter of course, ask your attorney to do that with you um, or ask them for the questions and have somebody else practice it with you. You want to just be able to at least control the parts that you can control, which is your direct testimony. You should basically know what those questions are going to be. The, 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 your attorney will be asking you those questions and um, be ready with what you're going to say so that you're not stumped and you're not feeling nervous and, and anxious. You know exactly, okay, this is that question. Here's how I, I planned to respond to it. I mean, of course, you're going to answer truthfully. You just want to be prepared on how you're going to, to uh, word your answers, how you're going to say it, what things you want to make sure to get in, what things you want to make sure to say, things like that. So, um, so that's uh, your direct testimony. Now, as for your cross-examination, you should also see if your lawyer, I, I know I usually do this as a matter of course, I tell my clients what to expect for cross-examination too. Um, I even sometimes get another lawyer in my office to do a mock cross-examination with the person and sort of beat them up a little bit just so that they're ready. You know, the kinds of questions that I would ask under cross-examination, something like that. So the more you can be prepared, the less emotional you will be, the less anxious you will be. But, you know, during the worst, most traumatic time of your life, you have to make the most critical decisions of your life. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're under siege and it's bad, it's bad enough when you're divorcing normally, but then when you're, you add on the layer of divorcing a narcissist, now you're, you're, you're trying to make decisions about your money, your home, your children, all the things that mean the most to you, your business, you know, potentially. Um, while you're under siege and while you're trying to heal yourself. I mean, you know, people who've been in um, 
narcissistic person, uh, narcissistic relationships for long periods of time are like PTSD. I mean, they're they're seriously, you know, traumatized, and and they're trying to make decisions. So, you know, for example, this woman I spoke to this morning, she wants to change her custody arrangement. Um, she said that you know when she entered into the custody agreement at the time, she just she was so terrorized by him. She just wanted to get out of it. She just wanted to be done. Uh, and so she agreed to stuff that she didn't want, that she didn't, now she regrets, you know? So what I'd like to hear from Tina is, um, how did you keep your mindset strong? How were you able to keep going and keep, and not give up and keep yourself healthy? You know, it, it was a process, you know, the first few years, had I not been journaling and blogging about it, if I were to look back, I don't. I remember very little of it. I feel like I was operating in a in a state of trauma and shock, and emotions. Um, and for me, it was a few years into it before I started going to sit in the courtroom, and it was a way for me to learn about the process and you know how attorneys handle things and how you know different case law. And I became a fixture in the courtroom on days that it had nothing to do with me and just there as an observer because it allowed you know first for me to desensitize myself um, because it just became part of my every you know so then walking into the courtroom when it was my own case I was much stronger um, and I was educated on what was going on and, and the motions that I was filing um, and, and I didn't get it right all the time but it, it helped tremendously and what I learned is that so much of it is about strategy and you, you know, judges and yeah. attorneys, anybody in those courtrooms, they don't want to see your emotions. You know, that was one of the things I learned quickly is I would walk to the bathroom in the courthouse and have a panic attack or vomit or break down crying. But when I walked through those doors, I had to, you know, put my shoulders back and my head up and, you know, almost role play was um, kind of the mentality I had to have. But, you know, and just forming alliances when I would be in the courtroom and I would see another parent who I could, you know, identify as the healthy parent in the situation. I'd follow them out into the hallway and say, here's my card. I'd love, sounds crazy. I'd love to go to coffee with you because we have a lot in common. And that started building my local team. Um, so, you know, those were some of the things that that I did in the beginning. And from day one, I remember people telling me, you, you know, this is a 50-50 state. California, I think every state is 50-50 at this point. And that's, you know, truly what you just have to accept that. And I refused. I couldn't even you know, grasp how somebody could, you know, some people, it's truly, you know, their exes are so good at impression management that that may be in the cards for them. And and then you, you know, you're forced to accept radical acceptance, you know, managing your expectations, that whole whole thing. But for me, I just, I couldn't accept that that was what was best for my kids. And that was the mentality I kept moving me forward and and really celebrating the little victories, which I consider to be anytime my kids are a little bit safer. Um, 
and and that just kept the momentum going until I think it was about year six that we were assigned a custody evaluator and he really understood what I was up against and his um, his orders or his recommendation to the court were unlike anything I've ever heard of before. And it was so strict. And the judge ended up saying, I'm not going to adopt all of these because I don't want to micromanage this guy. But the ultimate ruling um, on year six was permanent supervised visits. So he could never again be alone. And the judge said, I intend for these to be final custody orders, which was huge. Um, but as we know, a narcissist can't handle that. Their ego doesn't want someone <laughs> supervising them. That's a huge threat. And so he jumped ship and we didn't hear from him for a year and a half. Um, but that was a year and a half of peace. And I, you know, I yeah. was fantastic. So it's those baby steps. It's, you know what, today my kids are a little bit safer. And, and that kept me going. And when I did, you know, there were so many times where I threw myself a huge pity party when I got slammed in court or, and, and I just always set an end time. You know, I, I can allow myself a day or two to be mad or angry because it's warranted. But, then, you know, Friday, I'm going to dust myself off and I'm going to try again because my kids need me. There's no one else that's going to fight for them. Absolutely. I just want to inject a little bit of the legal side of what you, some of the things that you just said. Um, and one is that, yeah, there is a kind of unspoken presumption, I'll call it, for this 50-50 thing right now in most of the states. Um, I think there are a couple of holdouts. I think New York doesn't quite have that presumption yet. But um, it's it's not necessarily a legal presumption, meaning um, a legal presumption would mean that when the court sits down, when the judge sits down, then they're going to presume that this is what it's going to be. And then the other person who doesn't want that has the burden of proving why it shouldn't be that. So that would be a legal presumption. So it's not necessarily a legal presumption in a lot of the states, but it's kind of like an unspoken presumption. Um, and so what I want people to remember is that what the real presumption is and should always be is best interest of the child. And I just had a situation with this with the judge back in January. I was at a hearing um, and um, the judge, the, the baby at the time was maybe five months old or something like that. And the judge was like, well, you know, you guys are coming to trial in May. Um, so, uh, you know, don't bother coming in here. Um, if, you know, you know that it's going to be 50, 50 and, and, and whatever. And I'm like, really, your honor, before you even hear one word about what's in the best interests of this child, um, you know that there's 18 factors in the statute that you're supposed to consider. So if you're making a, a decision right here and now, then that's grounds for your rec recusal. And um, so, you know, right away, he's like, oh, of course, of course, we have to, you know, consider the, the factors and, you know, um, and of course, he backpedaled right away. But, um, you know, I want people to understand that, yes, it's that, but don't just give up on that. Don't just say that's what it's, it, it is and be resigned to that. Remind the court, remind the judge, remind everybody you can that the, the standard is best interest of the child. And there is, I'm, I'm sure, a statute in every single state that has, you know, the factors that have to be considered by the court. So don't just like resign yourself to that's what it's going to be. So... 
So um, Rebecca, I have, a, I have a comment on that though, because despite that, the best interest of the child, you know, anyone who's, you know, doing advocacy work, mental health work, you've been in the divorce space, in all of the, almost all of these cases, I'm, I'm not willing to hazard a guess that 75 to 90% of these cases, they're not taking into account the best interest of the no, child. And these statutes and these 18 points and all this stuff can exist. And in that particular case, it might've even been easier because it was a five-month-old baby. But what I am seeing over and over and over again is cases where there is no way on planet earth that the best interest of this child is being accounted for. So even if that's written into the law, and I suppose, yes, it becomes one more grounds of which an attorney could attempt to push the point. I still feel like most judges are going to reject that out of hand because they still feel like the argument of a parent that's antagonistic and toxic and undermining and invalidating and alienating and all the things that they are is that they're going to say there's no evidence of that. You know, it's, it's you, I mean, the, the evidence that you have to show that it's not in the best interest of the child is often quite physical. Like you lived 20,000 miles from the kid's school or you travel three weeks a month. They'll run with that. But these subtle psychological factors, which I don't even think are subtle, I am not seeing a judge in America account for this stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's the difficulty, right? Because it's like, it is so subtle and and the judges are always looking for the easy way out. Yes. I mean, and so it is difficult. So what you have to do is you have to be able to present a case in such a way that they can't look away. And, mm-hmm. and, and you can't go in and say the person's a narcissist or, you right. know, accuse them of any kind of um, something like that that's not, readily supportable, you know, because that's when you're, you're going to lose your own credibility, even if the person is uh-huh. the most flaming narcissist right. on, on the planet. So you mm-hmm. have to go in with, you know, reams of supporting documentation as to what's in the best interest of the child. I mean, Tina uh, nodding her head because, um, yeah. you know, you, you figured it out and I'm really... Um, uh, amazed and and give you such props mm. that you were able to go in there and think of the idea of I'm going to go watch other court proceedings and figure it out. Um, you know, so yeah. talk more about like how yeah. you were able to do that because you know there's so many people out there who can't afford a good lawyer, who can't afford right. you know a therapist, they can't afford anything. They're like, you know, you were talking about going to the food pantry or whatever. I mean, if it's like eating versus an attorney, you're going to pick eating. So um, talk more about that. So, you know, I know one of the things from, I talk to parents all the time who will tell me, you know, I don't have time to go sit in the courtroom. You know, I tell them, you don't have time not to. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working full time. You know, one of the things I didn't mention, I when I left my marriage, um, you know, just so people don't you know, go, well, you know, she has all these resources or whatnot. I left with $178 to my name, not a penny in retirement, not a penny in, you know, any type of account, literally under $200. And I was working full time. I had two little girls in preschool. The cost of preschool is insane <laughs> when you've got two little ones. And, but I, I, I made that a priority. And you know, however you have to do it. For me, that was the number one, you know, that was the best thing I could have ever done. It gave me so much insight into things attorneys used. And then I would go, you know what? And a lot of people so, you know, how did you win based on him being a narcissist? I've never used that word. I've written four books on the topic, but I've never used that word narcissist 
to anybody. You know, I focused on his patterns of behavior that were affecting my kids. Exactly. And, you know, and, and pain, you know, seeing, and, and one thing I don't think people understand if I were in courtroom A, I would present my case, my exact case one way. But if I were in courtroom B, just based on what I know about that judge, I would present my case completely different because they're human. They bring in their own biases and yeah, they do. personal, you know, there's a judge down in Southern California who lost a child to a drug overdose. So she takes addiction issues mm-hmm. very seriously. My ex-husband was an alcoholic. So you better believe that's I would hit heavy on the alcoholism in her courtroom. And I think people don't give that, you know, it there's no rule book for any of this. And you so know, smart. So smart. So smart. So smart. Thank you. So you know, so much of it was learning, you know, so many learning lessons. And and when I was in the hallways of the courtroom on break, I would make conversations with every attorney that would talk to me and you know, and so you share my story. I couldn't afford their consults, but if they're bored sitting in the hallway, I would use that as an opportunity to introduce myself, let them know. And so many were so helpful to me um, through this process, you know, just really forming those connections, knowing who every single player is in your system, every evaluator, you need a a notebook of just family court professionals. Anytime you hear something about one of them, or you witness an evaluator testifying in court or, you know, a minor's counsel, write down every detail about them so you can make an informed decision um, if it, you know if you are going to be assigned an evaluator I think one of the things I was so naive about in the beginning I would you know I was desperate for someone to listen to me and so I would show up in court and I would beg you know appoint minors counsel appoint an evaluator somebody's got to see what's happening and could I go if I could go back and do it all over again? I would have said, you know, here are my three selections for an evaluator. I don't care which you, anybody can choose from this list. That's what but I, I do. would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it gives the other side the power and control that they need to make that decision. But like in my case, the minors counsel who was appointed because I didn't know anything about him, he turned out to be a bigger narcissist than. <laughs> than my ex-husband in a lot of ways. And so it was a complete waste of time and energy and resources. And so really entrenching yourself in your system and learning the ropes and the people, you have to do it. Such great advice. Really, really great advice. You know, as you were talking, I was wondering if one of the other things that you did, because um, if you did, this would be a great idea. you know, if you know that there are particularly good lawyers or lawyers who understand, you know, what you're dealing with, um, you know, pleadings are actually um, public information. Um, so, did you go to the clerk and read motions and and look at stuff that other lawyers had filed? So if I saw a case that closely represent or resembled my case, I would take down their names and go find them because in our court, you can we're pretty archaic. We have like micro, you have to get these little slides and you look at all of the microfiche. And so I would go pull people's cases and just sit there and go through their whole case from That's what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I was wondering that you did. Yeah. So that's so smart. Really, really smart. But of course, very time consuming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, 
So Dr. Romani, what would be, you know, ways that people can kind of self-care and cope mm-hmm. during this process? You know, Tina, what, what is so striking about what you just said, and, you know, just so everyone knows, I, Tina is actually literally one of my favorite people on the planet, and she knows Aww. that too. So I really, you know, I mean, I, I know the, the depth of her story is that, you know, what, what's striking to anyone hearing this is that, and what I see in many of the clients I work with is that they get exhausted. They go to a place of full-on helplessness, hopelessness, and powerlessness, which are often some of the last stops on the train before full-blown major depression and anxiety disorders and all of that, like really major psychological and psychiatric you know, fallout from this. And as a result, the persistence you showed, Tina, is, is remarkable. because mm-hmm. and, and what I love about what you did, Tina, was you weren't trying to control things you can control, namely judges who didn't get it, custody evaluators who didn't get it, court systems who didn't get it. You weren't trying to control those mechanisms. You were trying to learn about them. And of all the guidance I've ever heard, because you feel so powerless, give yourself the time to learn. Look up the cases, learn what happened in those cases, learn about the judges. I mean, I think that that, that anytime we can give a person a sense of control, that's something they can actually do, is really, really important. But I do have to say, Tina, there's a unique resilience that you're, you're manifesting because I do think for people the day in and day out, the demoralization, and no matter how much evidence they present to the court, it feels like no matter what, it's not working out their way to the point where I've seen children who are you know, being forced to co-reside you know, and have custody with the more narcissistic parent to the incredible detriment of the child's mental health. And they can't, the mother can't even make the argument in this case that really it is exposure to this toxic parent. I mean, he has completely worked that whole system beautifully. So to your question though, Rebecca, number one, I would say it's absolutely critical you reach out not only for therapy with somebody who gets narcissistic abuse. And I really put that point on it because many, many times, I actually don't think that clients in this space should be entirely targeted as though they have post-traumatic stress disorder. I think PTSD is a very different kind of phenomenology. And while addressing early traumas and all of that may be an issue, I think that there's something rather unique about the narcissistic abuse space because it moves pretty quickly when a person gets lots of education. Because I am shocked in four to six sessions when a client really is helped to understand what happened how their own early, you know, their family of origin issues connect and they see it. They're like, that's it. Like, I'm good. Thank you. I'm not a crazy person. Thank you. That's not how treatment for post-traumatic stress Uh, disorder works. That is so good. Yeah. It's very, very different. And now are there many, many people out there who experience issues in their experience of a narcissistic divorce, physical violence, sexual violence, severe financial deprivation, coercive control, all things that are associated with PTSD, absolutely. And I do think that is a subset of cases, but I think an even larger subset of cases are people who really are experiencing a more pure version of being absolutely confused by the manipulation. And once they simply get psychoeducation, which is how I got into putting out these YouTube videos, because not everyone could come sit in my office. There's just not even enough hours in the day for me to do that. I wrote books for this reason, thinking if people could get this, they may stop blaming themselves. So it becomes therapy with someone who gets it. Number two is also accessing the advocacy community. That is something Tina opened me up to, is that there are people like Tina out there who get it and put resources out in a way from a lived experience perspective. Her Facebook page is a robust resource that I refer all of my clients going through this too, and to her website. So those services exist. You know, Basically a support group mechanism of people who get it. But then beyond that, 
I really, really do tell people is that you are not defined by this experience. I actually think that survivors of narcissistic abuse who really then take this as a jumping off point to the degree we're talking about it being a trauma, what I really do see is tremendous post-traumatic growth. People saying, I can see these people coming from a mile away. I am actually going to be a lot more careful in my relationships. I am getting rid of the people in my life who are not good for me. They actually do a whole like clean out, like a toxic dump. It's, they, they, just, so they knock everyone out because they're like, I'm not doing this anymore. And they realize how many people in their midst were, their, were the enablers of the narcissistic abuse. And through a good support network, therapy, advocacy, support groups, you get people who say, it's okay. It's okay to remove people from your life because they'll get a lot of guilt. Like, how dare you not speak to this one? How dare, how dare you do you? Do you. And so it's very much a, it's a process of healing, which I've got to tell you, I have seen many, many people soar. They go back to school. They take on the careers they thought they wouldn't. They travel. They are very, they feel like better parents. I mean, they really do come out of it. But all of that said, it really is a daily practice. Things like mindfulness, meditation, um, getting, getting also treatment for other disorders that may have come up or gotten exacerbated, anxiety disorders, depression. Substance use disorders that sometimes flare up in the face of all of this. It's about taking care of you. And also keep in mind, Rebecca and Tina, you know this very well, is that people who've been through a narcissistic divorce or a long period of, of narcissistic abuse in their lives, self-care for themselves is the first thing they threw out. They stop taking care of themselves. They'll often start eating more poorly, gaining weight, making themselves at risk for things like diabetes. They don't get their regular healthcare appointments. They don't take care of themselves because in some ways, staying in a narcissistically abusive relationship is so sort of self-harming that you're like, why would I take care of myself? You know, it's like you're a car, you just drive into the ground at that point. And that awakening of getting out of that relationship is often an awakening that you're this beautiful soul, this beautiful creature that deserves to be taken care of. So it's lots of enlightenment, lots of awakening, lots of education, lots of support, lots of therapy. And then, and again, slowly but surely getting going into a wiser future. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we carry them and we bottle them up, it can definitely affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get them off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know it's definitely been helpful for me in learning how to deal with past trauma and set boundaries and be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's super convenient because it's all online and flexible. Just Fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash negotiate today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash negotiate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah, that's such great stuff. Really, really good advice. And, um, you know, I would want to, I just want to add in as far as like the, um, the legal perspective on this, something that people can do is, um, you know, maybe if you can't afford to have a lawyer for the entire process, but maybe have a consulting lawyer, you know, maybe somebody that you'd be willing to, you know, if you have a little bit of money, you could go in and just make sure that, you know, kind of like what Tina did when she was sort of having these hallway conversations. <laughs> but, you know, if you wanted to have somebody who would is, um, you know, taking a look at a, an agreement and maybe just reviewing an agreement for you and just spending an hour of their time doing that, you know, something, you know, where you get a little bit of that legal protect, protect, protection if you can afford to, to have even that. Um, and, um, you know, obviously I have a program for that as well for people. And, you know, but if, there, if there's a way that you can access some help, um, that's, that's, I think, really, really helpful um, for people to, to have access to that. Okay. So what you're going to want to do is you're going to remember the acronym, knock them dead. All right. So D-E-A-D-D. So two Ds, but D-E-A-D-D, knock them dead. So the first D stands for document everything. And I mean everything. You know, you're going to want to journal everything. You're going to want to document everything. In my SLAY program, I actually have 12 different things that you're going to want to be documenting, but you're going to want to document everything with regard to finances, to your children, if you have children, anything that they do that seems out of the ordinary. I know it's a pain, but you know, if you have a notes app or something, just note it because you're not going to remember. But you know, even if it's crazy, oh, I don't know if I should write that down, but you know, you just never know. And there's many different ways that these things come into play. So you will want to make sure that you document everything, whether it's a business case or a family law case, or it's against a business partner, maybe it's a a case against an employer or something like that. It always is something that you're going to need to be doing is documenting. Whether it's a timeline form, you end up needing it for the statutes to prove different elements of a statute. You definitely need documentation. I also have a podcast where I ended up interviewing one of the people who used my Slay for Biz program, Sharon Scott. I highly recommend that you check that out because she talked about how she used my program and it really helped her a lot. So definitely document everything. The next thing is the E, emotions. Keep them in check. You're definitely going to want to keep your emotions in check. There's so many different reasons that you want to keep your emotions in check. I mean, for one thing is that they want to trigger you constantly. They love to see you squirm. So they get supply from it. And you really don't want to give them narcissistic supply, obviously, because that's no fun. I mean, they just get the satisfaction of seeing you go crazy, right? I mean, why do you want to do that? But then the next thing is that they use your reaction against you. They go, look, there's the crazy one. There's the one that's the problem. And they will use that against you in a number of ways. They use the emails against you, the texts against you. They may even be videotaping against you. They use the witnesses against you, whatever it is. So definitely keep your emotions in check. They use it for custody, so many different things. So 
Definitely E, keep your emotions in check. And it doesn't help you when you're negotiating either if you're all over the place when it comes to settlements, because then you end up settling for things that you regret two months down the road, three months down the road. You're like, I didn't want to settle for that. Because a lot of times you're like, oh, I just, I just ended up settling for that because I just wanted to be done. I just wanted it to be over with, or maybe you were just feeling pressured. You know, really try to keep your emotions in check. And by the way, if you're really, really struggling with that, because a lot of times when you're you've been dealing with a narcissist for a long period of time, you you are in a trauma state, especially PTSD sometimes. I do have a partnership with BetterHelp. You can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Rebecca Zung. I do receive commissions on that. It doesn't cost you any more. We have a partnership with them because I wanted to have a partnership with a service that we could trust, that we could recommend. If you are struggling, go to betterhelp.com forward slash Rebecca Zung so that you can get the help and support that you need if you're having trouble with your emotions and you're having trouble with trauma. So that's the E. The next one is always wear the white hat. That's the A, always wear the white hat. And what do I mean by that? I mean by that in that you want to be the one if you end up in front of the judge, which that's what this is about. You want to be the one where the judge is like, Hey, this is the person that obviously is the good one. Let the narcissist be the one who's the one who's badly behaving. A lot of times it's so easy to fall into, hey, they're behaving badly. They're doing things wrong. They did it too. I can do it too. What happens though is then you have a situation where the judge is just like seeing like two kids that are fighting. So for those of you who are out there watching who have children and you have more than one, what happens is they just are like, oh, both of you just stop it. You know, they don't see that, oh, well, they started it or they're worse. They just see two people who just are fighting. So you want to be the one who's consistently not being in the mud with the other one. Because if you are the one who's what I call always wearing the white hat, who's not engaging, who didn't respond, who didn't get into it, and the other one is always the one who's constantly the badly behaved one, then it makes it really, really obvious who is the the bad one. And and it's kind of hand in hand with keeping your emotions in check, but it's even one step much, much further than that. You really, really want to be the one who's just always behaving, always doing the right thing. So just kind of imagine that the judge is sort of walking around with you and watching every single thing that you're doing. Always wear the white hat. That's the A. All right. So the next one is don't go anywhere alone. That's the D, the first D in knock them dead. And we're going through all the elements of what to do to beat a narcissist in court. So, you know, this is because they're going to say you followed them, you, you did this, you did that, they lie all the time. So they're constantly going to be saying that you were menacing, that you were threatening, 
that you did this with the kids or that you touch somebody inappropriately or whatever it is that they make up constantly. And and then you end up having to defend against these ridiculous claims. So you want to make sure that you have people around as much as you possibly can. If you have children, for example, have your exchanges for custody at daycares, at schools, you know, at shopping plazas or places where people are around because you just don't want situations where they can make things up about what's going on. And in that same vein, by the way, you're going to want to make sure that even depositions are videotaped if possible. And I have actually a whole video on how to be a narcissist in mediation. I talk about that in there. And you should definitely check out that video as well, because a lot of you who are trying to beat a narcissist in court are also mediating with a narcissist. And you should definitely check out that video as well. And I also do have a whole video where I interviewed Judge Lynn Toller. You guys should definitely check out that video too. She was the judge on divorce court for 17 years. And her video interview was very, very highly fascinating. So definitely check that out too, because I'm so ready to help you knock them dead. And if you've been following along with how to beat a narcissist in court, and you've been following along with my acronym, you know, there's one more D. The last D is decoys. It stands for decoys. And what I mean by decoys is you really do not want to give them your best offer or give them any of your best evidence or show them any of your cards or show them any of your hands until you're ready to unveil it in court or when you're ready. I mean, a lot of times, while you're standing on the courthouse steps or even at lunch during the trial, they want to settle. They're ready to have settlement talks or even maybe the eve before trial or a couple of days before they're ready to have some settlement talks at that point or something. And you might be ready at that point as well, but you've got to have your strategy, your leverage, have anticipated your focus on you, your position, that being on the offensive, my whole slay methodology. At that point, you do not give them your best offer. You do not show your best evidence. You decoy the whole thing until you are so ready to go. Basically, the way I look at it is you're building an invisible fence around them until you turn on the lights and they realize, oh my God, I'm totally pinned in. At that point, they have no choice but to resolve the issue with you or resolve the issues with you. So you're appearing weak, you're feigning ignorance, you, you know, oh, I, I don't know, I have no idea. Let them think that they're winning. Let them go all crazy on you. Allow them to go off. A lot of times, that's good for you. It's hard, I know, because it's you don't want them to get away with anything a lot of times during the case. But sometimes, if you have an ongoing case, it's 
good to let them screw up because those little battles that show that they're screwing up help you to demonstrate to the judge who they actually are. So let them do that, you know, because then you can show patterns that they aren't doing what they're supposed to do, show patterns that they're liars, show patterns that they are bad parents or terrible with money or whatever it is that you need to show. It actually ends up helping you in the end or that they have anger issues or whatever it is. So that definitely helps you. Sometimes it's it's really, really good to feign that you're weak, feign that you're ignorant. A lot of times, by the way, you, you can pretend like there's a particular thing that you really, really want. And it's not the thing that you really, really want because then, you know, they go after that. You know, because they're going to go after the thing that they think that you really, really want, right? So let them go after that particular thing, right? Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Slayers, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast I'm excited about, Creating Confidence, hosted by Heather Monahan, a part of the Yap Media Network. Heather sits down with experts like Gary Vee, Sarah Blakely, and Les Brown to share with you techniques and strategies to create your confidence, pursue your dreams, and leapfrog villains you'll meet along the way. Creating confidence is about elevating your confidence to the highest level ever and take your business right there with you. Don't believe me? I'm going to share some of the amazing reviews that I've seen on Apple. Here's one. Heather has the perfect gems of wisdom that not only inspire you, but motivate you into action. I recommend it to anyone who wants to elevate their reach and go to that next level. How about that? That's amazing. Here's another one. Heather is so inspiring and each episode is filled with tips and tricks on how to become more confident and live the life of your dreams. So if you are looking to level up your confidence, check out Creating Confidence now. Subscribe to Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is.